Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this episode, we speak with Karang Mehta, guest editor and senior development geophysicist at Cosmos Energy, on November's The Leading Edge, focused on carbon management. In this episode, learn about the history and methods of carbon capture and storage. Gain a perspective on how industry experience can inform new approaches while addressing the biases geoscientists take into carbon management. Discover how students drive research and the importance of working together in academia and industry. For anyone interested in the subsurface, this episode provides an engaging overview of how carbon management fits into the future of oil and gas. To read Karang's biography and find the links to November's special section, please check out the show notes for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Data Management. Catalyst Data Management provides the only integrated end-to-end subsurface data management solution for the oil and gas industry. Over 240 employees operate in North America, Europe, Asia Pacific, and South America, and they are dedicated to enabling digital transformation and optimizing the value of geotechnical information for exploration, production, and M&A activity. Learn more at CatalystDM.com. And now, my conversation with Karang Mehta. November is the leading edge focuses on carbon management. What makes managing carbon unique from oil and gas? Well, I think I'll give you a short answer to this, Andrew. I think of managing carbon as an important part of the oil and gas industry. So instead of focusing on the uniqueness of managing carbon, I think we need to think collaboratively and how to incorporate carbon management into the exploration and production cycle. Could you share a brief history of storing carbon in the ground? Yes. So carbon capture, utilization, and sequestration might be considered as putting the proverbial genie of CO2 back in the bottle. In brief, we aim to separate CO2 from the industrial combustion exhaust and directly from the atmosphere and inject it into the subsurface brines, especially in the form of a supercritical fluid or dissolving seawater with the ultimate goal of permanent mineralization. An ancient alchemist seeking to take the air from fire, add to water and turn the mixture into rock would be delighted indeed. This is an ambitious goal, however, but one within our collective reach. The last five years, we have witnessed a dramatic increase in the number of CCUS projects, investments and technology advances. These recent developments have been most sustained progress since CO2 was first injected in the ground in the year 1972 or since it was initially sequestered commercially at the Sleipner Field Day back in 1996. Really doesn't go back that far when you think about think about it on, on that scale. And it's such a, a mindset shift. You're, you're putting something back as though taking something out. But, you know, the oil and gas industry is obviously an international global industry as well as storing carbon, but what makes the United States unique right now in encouraging CCUS projects? Well, U.S. has an important role to play here, not that any other country is less important, but for a topic such as CCUS, I would think in terms of uniqueness of technology applications rather than focus on a certain region. So the fastest increase in the number of CCUS projects 
has been in case in this case in the US since the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act section 13104 bipartisan infrastructure law back in 2021 and the Chips and Science Act back in 2022 all these are key milestones although recently and at this time of the writing between EPA North Dakota and Wyoming there are some 140 odd projects in pre construction or construction in the united states and this is what makes us i guess one of the leaders towards these us projects but we are seeing a lot of progress in other parts of the world as well could you provide a brief overview for the listeners of the four main potential types of sequestration projects yes so the four main potential sequestration project identified by the us geological survey are co2 enhanced oil recovery like the eor saline aquifers depleted petroleum reservoirs and unusable coal seams out of these four the most interest has unsurprisingly been in aquifers close to the large emitters given the oil and gas industry eor and the depleted petroleum reservoirs sedimentary basins host the majority of the current targets as in oil and gas as well with siliciclastic projects outnumbering the carbonate storage formations in part this is due to the lower economic threshold for the ur project which tend to be in the siliciclastic formations and the abundance of saline aquifer candidates that are known for petroleum exploration there has been some exciting developments of co2 rich fluid interactions with the mafic formations a development that expands the range of target geologies to include volcanic formations as well so even fractured granite prospects are under development where there is evidence of competent overlying confining intervals so all in all a lot of variety in which the co2 sequestration is possible yeah that's i think exciting and leaves you a lot of different outlets to work on and i guess overwhelming is the right word over, <laughs> i think that could be a good word good word choice as well and and you know geoscientists this is in the leading edge so this obviously is applicable to the skill sets of of geophysicists but i thought something that was inter- interesting in the introduction was you state that with that experience a geoscientist bring to these projects comes some bias what considerations do geoscientists have when transferring their work over to ccus projects Yeah I'm glad you asked that question uh, and I think this also relates uh, again as I mentioned earlier CCUS is not unique from a reservoir characterization standpoint and whatever I'm going to say is also applicable to any exploration or field development project so geoscientists are indeed uniquely positioned to contribute but we must remember that with uh, a lot of experience in every geophysicist or geologist comes with his or her own bias and some of the considerations that we need to be looking out for always while getting into our tunnel are the following number one is confining lithology presence and competency so is the lithology confining and is competent to hold the fluids or the gas and uh, store in this case our legacy wells competency so what has been happening in the past from a wells perspective formation behavior upon pressurization how much pressure can a formation handle confining interval characterization so within intervals how do you how granular are you in your characterization given the sub granular uh, types of data such as seismic 
and last but not the least lock rock fluid interaction fluid fluid interaction and our ability to monitor the fluid migrations yeah you mentioned there legacy well competency being something to to stay aware of why might legacy well sites not be the best situation for carbon storage uh, there are a lot of reasons why that might or might not be the case but this question is a bit challenging so let let me put a spin to it so actually the work presented in one of the articles in this issue focuses on that topic on the selection of geologic site with a specific depositional setting that affects the sustainability of co2 storage site and its storage efficiency so i would defer this question and ask the audience to go review that paper because i think i will not be able to do the justice but in a summary i would say that the authors highlight that creation of a robust structural framework is an important factor in understanding the formation that was laterally continuous or not structurally controlled or not and allowing for the co2 to be distributed uniformly throughout the formation which is important but apart from structural framework there are other aspects of the site that are key in deciding whether it's a good fit for co2 storage so i'm going to stop at that and let the rest be a little bit of suspense for the audience <laughs> i love that and we'll link to that paper so they'll they'll be able to explore that further right after this conversation what is unique about the rock fluid interactions when considering carbon injection? So typically, petroleum is unreactive with the formation mineralogy at production timescales. Fluid rock compatibility tends to focus on drilling and completion fluids, mudkick stability, and cleanup efficiency during the unloading. Injectant rock compatibility is a standard assessment in acid stimulation operations, but these are short-term operations limited to a few days or hours. Conversely, injection of CO2 into the formation usually results in chemical reactions that alter rock properties and characteristics because it happens over a long period. For example, dissolution of the reactive phases such as plagioglase and calcite can cause an increase in porosity and decrease mechanical strength in the near wellbore region. Similarly, precipitation of quartz and calcite phases then follows, but in rock volumes more distal from an injection zone. All I'm trying to say is that these phenomena are readily observed within a few weeks in a laboratory experiment, but at reservoir condition, they take months to years to even decades in this case. So, What role do underground sources of drinking water play for CCUS projects? For the CCUS projects, in terms of monitoring, the most challenging strata are relatively shallow underground layers, and those are the ones that contain the drinking water. So robust integrated monitoring program requires a confident baseline assessment of the conditions of subsurface prior to injection. Groundwater aquifers are usually influenced by meteoric influx and baseline compositions can vary seasonally. Consequently, establishment of a robust underground source of drinking water baseline can require months-long regular sampling prior to operational commencement. So for many industry professionals accustomed to deep water or unconventional operations, a monitoring program of shallow strata is far from initial project plans where a critical component of CO2 CCUS project exists. So it's a very important role being overlooked by a lot of previously applied uh, 
ENP projects for exploration, but this becomes a very important uh, part of characterization for the CCUS, uh, any CCUS ventures, I would say. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that mindset mindset shift that geoscientists may have to make. Exactly. Yeah, It's an additional checkbox, if mm. I may, that we really need to take care of. Well, one thing that could be exciting are formations that were previously considered poor candidates for oil and gas. Would they maybe a good candidate for CCUS projects? Yeah, Andrew. Another interesting question. <laughs> and I'm thinking we are, this is a good question. Don't get me wrong. But we are thinking, I think from a technological standpoint, we are a bit too early to comprehensively address that. So I'll, I'll probably beat around the bush on this a little bit. So in many ways, the worldwide growth in CCUS activity represents a new era, right? An exploration or production geoscientist. As an industry, we are assessing formations as targets that were previously dismissed. Candidate formations are being considered in regions that have never had potential for mineral extraction activities. But each week and each day as we work, there are new examples of combining the previously siloed disciplines with digitization of legacy samples and AI-based interpretation, enabling novel insights. So between opportunities for sequestration and MIFIC formations, we are in the beginning of a creaming curve, if I may, for the CCUS project. As a community, this is something that we need to look at from not only geophysics, but also as a subsurface community with engineers. But I'm confident, and we should be confident, that our knowledge and experience as applied will be very valuable in accelerating the field, this field of study while we recognize the need to identify and address the potential pitfalls. So once again, as I mentioned, I'll be beating around the bush here, but the point is work is being done. We are getting there. The answer is I hope so, but I cannot say for a fact. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people hope so. That would open up a lot of exciting, I think, places for projects, candidates for projects. You know, this this field is is very new and growing. Was there, what new insight did you gain from from reading and working on this special section? This question I like, because <laughs> I can answer it. So this special section is focused on carbon management, which is new to me as well. And also new to a lot of geophysicists, I would say, whether they accept or not. So being offered the role of a co-editor for this special section was a unique opportunity and honor to begin with. In terms of insights, I would highlight the technical progress that our community has made, the subsurface community has made, especially in understanding the synergies and the discrepancies or the differences between reservoir characterization for oil and gas exploration and development, and the same for CCUS projects. These key points are highlighted very clearly in the articles, and I'm happy about one thing that a lot of this work has been done by students so the younger generation is taking this topic very seriously, which is a good thing. Although I need to also highlight the fact that they should bring in the industry experts as soon as possible into the mix. What excited or surprised you about reading these four papers? Thanks for including this question. As I was reviewing the articles published in this section, I was quite amazed by the fact that a lot of work has been done by students, as I mentioned earlier. That is what I was really happy about. In terms of students taking lead roles in this study and asking a lot of questions and receiving a support from their advisors, both technically and financially, hopefully from some industry sponsors, I think that is the way to do this. 
like I have seen when I was a student and CCUS was still not on the table. A lot of new technologies came on board just by students working on it, but getting support from their supervisors and industry to pursue that and then apply the same learnings when they find a profession for themselves. So I hope to see this trend continue with plenty of cross learnings between academia and industry. And I think CCUS or CO2 management or carbon management, however you want to call it, is a great common topic that will bring these two worlds together closely much faster than I would like to see. That's most excellent there. And and this is this next question is calling for a bit of prediction, so no one will hold you to it. But when you're thinking about carbon management over the next 10 years, do you think scientific progress or governmental support in, in whatever country that is might do more to move this CCUS projects forward? Yeah, I like this question, except you would have you could have used and instead of or. <laughs> and I'll say why. So carbon management is a key topic that the entire society need to take the responsibility for. In terms of impact, I do not think there is one specific aspect that will have a special impact. Like in any ENP project, all aspects are equally important, more or less, depending on the type of the project. The government support will help the scientific progress because we need that to push the technical limits of executing the CO2 management safely and economically. And also significant scientific progress will help the government to augment their support. So it's a chicken and egg situation, right? So we need one for the other, but without the first one, the second will not work. So it has to, it has to be working hand in hand, I would say. That's a, that's a good response there. Is there a particular way you want people to take away from this conversation? What would be your punchline as, as it's coming to a close? Yeah, this has been my punchline ever since I started in the industry. So hopefully CCUS will not be any diversion from that. Well, before I say that, first I would like to thank for considering me for this conversation. It's my honor. It has been a blast to work with my co-editors on this interesting topic. And now coming to the punchline, I would say always analyze data, understand and integrate all available data sets before making a technical recommendation, whether it is for an exploration prospect, an infill well opportunity, or a carbon management or a CCUS project. And lastly, if you had to describe your journey in one word, what would it be and why? Okay, that's a tough one. <laughs> but I'll try to answer that. Let me think. The word I will use, if you only allow me one word, would be roller coaster. If you consider that as one word, I think it's, 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 a, it's a compounded word, but roller coaster is the right way to describe my journey so far. And I think in the future as well. So do you feel like you're you're uh, you're coasting up to the top of the hill or uh, or heading down or in the middle of a exciting part of the the roller coaster? That's the beauty of the roller coaster. You never know what the future is, right? <laughs> you can have all the local lows and local highs and you might be thinking you are at the top, but you may not be. And you might be thinking you're at the bottom, you may not you may not be. So you don't know. That's the beauty of roller coaster. That's why I like the term. Is there anything I should have asked you that I did not? No, I think it was a great interview, Andrew. Thanks for asking me the questions that you asked. I think you challenged me to my limits, and uh, thanks for that. Again, it's a new topic for all of us. I'm very happy with the way our community is handling this inclusion of CO2 management into our industry, but only future will tell how it's going to pan out. I wish the whole community the best of luck. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org slash podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off. <laughs>